Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Chris Geis. So, you want to ride a motorcycle better, faster, safer, with more skill and confidence? Or do you want to ride a motorcycle for the first time? Or ride again after taking a break from riding? Well, the purpose of my podcast is to help grow the sport of motorcycling by helping riders of all levels, whether they are new to motorcycling or not, increase their knowledge and skills so that they are better, smarter, safer riders and are getting everything they want out of motorcycling, whether it's on the street, on the track, or maybe even as a fan or a participant in some form of motorcycle racing. My game is to help all motorcyclists up their game. This is episode 36, titled New Year's Ride, Resolutions, and Plans for 2020. In this episode, I start by talking about why it's been three weeks since I released the last episode. A water boiler leak in our Levitt house, shopping for my new Arai helmet, and more importantly, getting a good fit, and all the activities surrounding the holidays. I also thank my new podcast supporters and announced the new podcast supporter page on my website and the various support levels. I revisit Shane Patilla's question on shopping for gear, and I talk about helmet standards and helmet shelf life, as well as provide some guidelines on the basic gear a rider needs, helmet, jacket, pants, boots, and gloves. I mention things to consider when shopping for gear, including closeout deals and counterfeits, and I discuss my New Year's resolutions regarding the podcast and my own riding this coming year. I cover my first ride of the new year on the Isle of Manhattan ride, and I go over my plans for the podcast and my plans for California Superbike School, other rider training, and Moto Jitsu. I cover my plans for the motorcycle races I want to attend in 2020 and end off with some tips on heated gear that fits snugly, avoiding hypothermia, and choosing and modifying gear so it is easy to use with your riding gloves on. This episode was recorded on Wednesday, January 8th, 2020, and is being published on Saturday, January 11th, 2020. I hope you enjoy it. So, you want to ride a motorcycle? Well, you've come to the right place, because this is the So You Want to Ride a Motorcycle podcast. All right, so let's get this show underway. So uh, it's been a minute since I've been behind the mic and I've released an episode. Looks like it's about three and a half weeks. Um, I hope everyone had a really good holiday season, and I hope everyone is having a very good Happy New Year. Uh, I know things are going very well for myself. As far as why I haven't got an episode out in a couple of weeks, and, and honestly, it kind of kills me because I really like the pace of getting out one episode a week, but just a bunch of things going on, you know, partly just the holidays and, you know, all the things going around. You know, it was Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's and the whole thing and activities with family and just some other things, too, like... Uh, I'm in the process of dealing with a, a water leak. We're in a, a Levitt house, if uh, anyone knows anything about Levitt or Levittown. Uh, basically, it was a community on Long Island uh, that was developed after World War II. And uh, this developer, Levitt, I don't know the whole history, but uh, he basically built tons and tons of homes for uh, for servicemen who were returning from the war so that they had affordable homes to live in. And so at any rate, long story short, so uh, Gene and I are in one of these Levitt homes, which has been you know very modified over the years. And it's, it's really interesting because if you look at Levitt communities, and there's this one on Long Island, uh, there's one in Pennsylvania, and I believe there's one in California, I'm not totally sure, uh, but they all kind of follow the, the same kind of pattern. There was you know one or two big, big 
contractors who were hired to build these homes and you know that there was a a small set of of styles to 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 choose from there was like at least in our area there was a cape style and a ranch style and you know a couple variations of that but so pretty much when the community was put together it was like kind of cookie cutter like all the homes looked the same you know and then uh whatever things went on and you know people earned some money you know after the war and whatnot and they could afford more things or they sold their homes and new people took them over and so over the years they've been very very highly modified and so now it's very hard to tell most of these homes were Levitt homes, although it's funny. Gina likes to play the game of, you know, looking at one of these renovated, modified Levitts and being like, oh, that was the Cape or that was the ranch. You know, she can tell just from certain features and things that they had. Anyway, so the, the, point, of, uh, the point I'm getting to is, uh, so the Levitt houses uh, are all on concrete slabs. There's no basement. And so our hot water heater are actually, you know, the, the, the hot the hot, the heat, the hot water heat for the house, and the domestic hot water for showers and stuff, all comes from an oil burner. It's a oil oil fired oil boiler, uh, sorry, oil fired water boiler, which is located right off the kitchen. That's actually next to the fireplace. Uh, they normally were between like the kitchen and the living room. Anyway, it's developed a water leak, and so that's caused the problem. And we've got the wooden wooden floor like one of these laminated floors in the living room that's all buckling and whatever because the water's running underneath so i'm in the process of trying to deal with this thing and figure out what we're going to do to get it replaced and whatnot so that's had some of my attention so it's been a little bit hard getting an episode out and then the other thing on the more positive side was i was uh, trying to decide what to do with a helmet i bought an Araya helmet uh, at the International Motorcycle Show back in early December. And actually, I will be talking about this quite a bit in an upcoming episode where I'm going to talk about helmets and more more particularly getting a helmet that fits you correctly. I think that's going to be a really good episode. But I bought this rather expensive helmet and wasn't satisfied with the fit when I got it home, although it kind of seemed okay at the show when I was trying it on and, and working with the te- technician from Arai. Anyway, long story short, so it was fairly expensive helmet, and then I was like, all right, maybe I should try a different size, and so I ended up actually, I, I bought it from Cycle Gear after getting a fitting with an Arai technician. Arai had a booth at the show, and um, so anyway, so just kind of a bunch of back and forth, so this one model I purchased, I tried another size, and then I tried another model Arai, and kind of back and forth, so I ordered actually quite a few helmets from Cycle Gear, and was kind of trying them out and wearing them, you know, having them on for an hour and see if there was hot points and they were comfortable or not. And you know, fortunately, the cycle gear, our local one is about 15 minutes away. So it was easy to just return them. Anyway, I finally did decide I, I, I did stick with an Arai helmet. I won't get into the details now. But like I said, I'll, I'll talk about that in an upcoming episode. So anyway, like I said, a lot of stuff going on. So just been busy, busy, busy. But I'm glad to be back at this and uh, getting this episode out to everyone, all my listeners. And uh, yeah, like I said, hope you guys had a great holiday season and are having a great start to the new year. So definitely, you know, shoot, shoot me an email at so you want to ride at yahoo.com and let me know how things are going so far for you in 2020. All right. So I just wanted to go over some news and updates and things. So I've got some new podcast supporters. So I wanted to announce that. Um, as many, as listeners will know, for some time now, I've been just promoting, you know, on, on my website, I have a link for people who want to help support the podcast by making a financial contribution. And uh, so I had a, a couple people 
sign up to do that recently, so I just wanted to mention that quickly. So uh, one was uh, Richard Warfield Jr., who is founder of R-Dub Studios and one of the hosts of the Loud Pipes podcast. So Rich, thank you very much for your contribution. It was greatly, greatly appreciated. If I remember correctly, that was, that was a little bit before before Christmas or so. So it was a nice little surprise and a, a great way to, to uh, start off, you know, just kick off the new year. Uh, also, Shane Patilla uh, became a supporter of the show. He's also a listener and is actually looking to buy his first motorcycle soon. So, um, yeah, so uh, kind of interesting. So Shane is very, very new, doesn't even have a motorcycle yet. Rich has got way, way more experience than I do, has, has had a bunch of different bikes over the years, uh, way more experience at podcasting and such. But uh, so it's, it's kind of cool. It's, it's great to, uh, to have these guys on board and supporting the show. So, gentlemen, thank you very much. I greatly appreciate it. And so in... in in line with that, um, you know, I've been thinking about maybe setting up a Patreon account and, uh, you know, having subscription levels through Patreon. And I may still do that, although I haven't gotten any huge, huge feedback that people would like to do that. Uh, I do know G4. Um, John Gardner had mentioned he definitely would support the podcast that way if I set something up. So, John, if you're listening, I have not forgotten. But just kind of as a step to get in that direction, um, what I did do, which I thought would be kind of cool, because I did want to acknowledge the people who, you know, have stepped up to support the show and just kind of show my appreciation. So on my website, uh, if you go to so you want to ride a motorcycle.com, there is a link now for podcast supporters. And so I kind of just came up with some support levels here. This may change a little bit over time and, you know, get feedback, see what people think of this. But I, I kind of went with the theme of engine displacement. You know, there's a what is this? How does the story go? There's no replacement for displacement. So kind of generally displacement, although it's more engine configuration. But so I just kind of define different levels here um, so that people who do want to help support the show can make contributions and kind of have a le level to start at. And maybe, you know, if they want, they can aim for other levels in the future. So. So the first level I have is the Thumper Club, right? So for those of you new to motorcycles, a Thumper is often how a single-cylinder motorcycle is referred to. Uh, I guess originally comes from the sound that they kind of make, like thump, 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 just because of the kind of rhythmic thing that you have with a single cylinder that's either... Well, it, it, let's just say it doesn't have other other cylinders to balance it out. So they, they use balance weights and things of that sort, which is getting way more technical than I need to right now. But so uh, anyone who contributes $5 or more in total will be a member of the Thumper Club. Uh, then next after that, we have the Parallel Twin Club, which is for people who have donated $10 or more. And so currently Shane Patilla is the, the, the only member in the Parallel Twin Club, Club. So I'm hoping we've got more people who can join him. So he's got some friends in there. And I just thought I would just read his little bio quickly. So Shane has listened to all of the podcast episodes released as of January 2nd, 2020. He's currently getting ready to take the Motorcycle Safety Foundation basic rider course and soon will be shopping for his first motorcycle. Uh, and uh, so Shane, I'm definitely grateful to have you as a listener. And then actually quite some time ago, I had announced this uh, last year, and I don't remember if it was the summer or into the fall, but uh, Harley Nemzer has actually been a supporter for quite some time. So he is a member of the V-Twin Club, which is for people who have made total donations of $20 or more. 
And I'll just read the bio that he sent me here. This is, this is really cool. Harley has retired from a career as a marketing sales professional at a Fortune 100 company and is currently a New York State certified motorcycle instructor for On the Road Again Motorcycle School in Nassau and Suffolk counties. He also serves as their marketing and public relations manager and as a part-time wrench. After riding mini bikes, he found himself lying down Utica Avenue on a broken down bicycle. I'm sorry, flying down Utica Avenue on a broken down bicycle with a lawnmower engine driving the front tire through a roller. While attempting to stop it by reaching over the engine to get to the throttle, he got the shock of his life through the spark plug. So sliding through an intersection with the rear wheel locked and the front still pulling, he knew he loved this sport. Harley got his motorcycle endorsement at 19. His first new bike was the Quick Suzuki X6 Hustler, and he has had a succession of bikes following that. What's in the garage now? Harley-Davidson Harley Road King, Triumph Bonifil T100, a Triumph Street Triple R, a Moto Guzzi V9, which I've seen, awesome, beautiful, beautiful bike. You can see a photo of it actually uh, on, on the website on this page. A 1972 Yamaha XS650 and the 1977 Sportster. He was very active in Gymkhana, Mini Coopers, right, uh, driving Mini Coopers, and road courses with Jaguar E-types. Harley strives to be a motorcycle ambassador and safety proponent. So Harley, thank you once again. Uh, Harley's a really cool dude. I've I've met him in person at some of the local cycle cycle gear bike nights, and uh, he actually he works for the school on the road again, where Gene and I both did the basic rider course. So that's that's where I learned to ride. So. Uh, I'm grateful for, for those guys having that school there. And uh, Harley, I'm grateful for the support you're giving to the podcast and for everything you're doing for motorcycling on Long Island and with On the Road Again. So thank you very much for that. And then so joining Harley in the V-Twin Club, we have uh, Richard Warfield Jr., you know, which I announced before. So uh, hang on one second, and I'm going to pull up his bio. All right, so I got it here. So here we go. So Richard Warfield Jr. is one of the hosts of the Loud Pipes podcast and the owner of R-Dub Studios LLC, which produces Loud Pipes and three other motorcycle-related podcasts, as well as the occasional YouTube video. Starting out riding a Kawasaki KLR650 anywhere and everywhere, a 12-year stint then ensued on a 2007 Harley-Davidson Softail Deuce. So you can see it's appropriate that uh, it actually just kind of worked out coincidentally, just the way that I named things. But So it, it kind of is appropriate that Rich is starting out in the V-Twin Club. Uh, and then he goes on to say, around 2016, he was bitten hard by the sport bike, sport bike bug, leading to the purchase of a Yamaha R6 and doing several track days and then converting the daily ride from his Harley to a Honda Interceptor. He says, I'm pleased to support Chris, old man slacker, in his podcast efforts, and it's a treat to watch the growth and progress over time. So, Rich, thank you very much again for your support and uh, for sending your bio and your photo, which I will put up on, on the website on that page. Uh, Rich has definitely been a huge, huge help ever since, well, even before I started the podcast. Um, just in the community that he's created with Loud Pipes and everything that I benefited from there. And for sure, a lot a lot of my inspiration for you know wanting to start this podcast came from what I learned from Loud Pipes and learned from just hanging out with the guys in their uh, Slack chat community and, and all that kind of stuff. So, Rich, thank you very much for that. 
All right, so moving on from the V-Twin Club, we have the Triple Club for total donations of $30 or more, the Inline Four Club, $40 or more, the V-4 Club for total donations of $100 or more, the Six Cylinder Club, which is $150 plus, and then finally, the Supercharged Inline Four Club for total donations of $250 plus. So don't know if anyone's going to jump for that one, but I figured, hey, you know, everyone's got to have something to shoot for. And like I said, this is total donations. You know, it could be, whatever something someone does over the course of the year it could be several years i mean it doesn't really matter any support the listeners you know you listeners want to provide is is and will be greatly greatly appreciated so anyway so just something i wanted to announce uh, get kicked off the ground and uh, i am very thankful for the supporters i have so far so after Shane Patilla joined the uh, Parallel Twin Club, he and I kind of had just some email conversation back and forth. I had just you know, sent him a quick email just to say, hey, thank you very much for supporting the show. And uh, one of the things he had emailed me back was the following is he said, I can now say I listened to all episodes and have learned something from each show. I'm planning on taking the MSF uh, Motorcycle Safety Foundation course in the upcoming weeks and just have to work out my schedule around the kids. Hope you have a great new year. So Shane, th- thank you for that note. Um, and yeah, that that's awesome that you're getting ready to start out on your motorcycle career. But his email reminded me that um, actually, I kind of wanted to come back to a prior question. Um, he had asked me something that he had sent me. So he had he had sent an email. So in episode 34, I actually had read his email. Uh, The title of that episode was what I am learning about motorcycle gear for road and track. And I took that opportunity to kind of try and answer the the question that Shane had emailed to me, which I think I did fairly well. But in in listening to that episode, I'm not sure I totally directly answered the question he had. So I just thought this would be a kind of a good opportunity to kind of revisit that question. So The original question was this. He said, one thing you may be able to direct me on is gear. I'm having a tough time figuring out what quality to get. For instance, I can get a helmet for $100 or spend $500. It's hard to tell how much more protection or comfort I will get from additional dollars spent. Any guidance is appreciated. And and so I did, you know, make an attempt to answer that question, but it kind of was in the context of just what I've been learning as I'm shopping for improved gear, you know, for riding on the track in 2020. So before I get into details here, um, I'm just going to make this little disclaimer. <clears throat> and actually, it reminds me of uh, something I was I was watching. Uh, I don't know if, if any of you have seen. If you haven't, check out uh, sport sport bike track gear. Uh, Brian Van has. That company, Sport Bike, Sport, wow, let me try that again. Sport Bike Track Gear. Sorry, Brian, for butchering that. Um, but anyway, so so he has a, a company that sells um, exactly that, Sport sport Bike Track Gear, you know, online. Uh, of course, it's stuff that could be used on the street as well. But he tends to have a lot of, you know, kind of high-end gear. I mean, he covers the gamut, you know, all, all kind of price points and, and to support all kind of budgets and whatever. But he's got a really excellent YouTube uh, channel. He's got really, really good videos where he does reviews and things of that sort. So the point I'm getting to is I had watched one of his videos. Actually, I think he was talking about helmets, and, and I'm going to kind of make a similar disclaimer. <clears throat> I think in his case, it was at the advice of a lawyer. This is just my own common sense. But so, so here's the thing. So when it comes to gear and recommendations on gear and whatever, so here's what I can do is I can share with you the things that I've learned and one of my goals in doing that is to get people to be aware of the things that there are to know and the things that 
they could learn more about and to kind of get them pointed in the right direction in educating themselves about motorcycling and proper motorcycle gear. So I'm not going to make any specific recommendations. You know, there are certain products that I use that I talk about and I use them because I like, uh, you know, I happen to like them for whatever reasons I mention. I'm not endorsing any particular, you know, brand or product or anything like that. It's just based on my own understanding of things and, you know, what I've selected for myself and I go over and discuss why. But obviously you have to make up your own mind. You know, when it comes to selecting gear, you know, educate yourself, learn as much as you can, and then you, you know, make make the decision of what is right for you and what makes sense for you, just like I do. Right. And the thing is, I just don't want to have a situation where someone comes and says, Well, Chris said on the podcast, you know, such and such. So where it's all it's all kind of you know buyer beware and everyone you know take responsibility for educating themselves and making their own decisions okay so with that little disclaimer said and out of the way many of you will probably have found these resources already uh just because they they are very popular well known they they tend to come up very quickly and easily in internet search engines, Google and stuff like that. But um, kind of my go-tos for information, particularly like if I'm looking for videos uh, on reviews on products and things are the following. So uh, Fort9, you know, so many of you probably know Ryan F9, who is the guy that does, or at least he's the the face on the videos uh, for the Fort9, which is an online retailer based in uh, in Canada. Then there's, of course, Revzilla. They've got tons and tons of great videos. Cycle Gear has some good stuff. And then, like I mentioned, Brian Van and Sport Bike Track Gear uh, has great, great videos also. So those are some of my main go-tos for reviews and information on gear, you know, when I'm trying to educate myself and look at comparisons. In particular, I like videos, one, because I can download them on YouTube and I can just watch them on the train or subway on my commute, but also because they are video. You know, it's it's image in nature. It's much easier easier to see the products and get an idea of what they're like. It's, yeah, you can read magazine articles and things online too. That's good. And look at photos. Uh, you know, definitely those things are both better than a podcast. So it's kind of interesting. Here I am in the podcast talking about this stuff, but I, I like personally, I find it convenient to listen to podcasts, particularly, you know, cause often I'm in situations like in the car or whatever, or maybe I'm at work or something like that. I can't watch a video and I can't read a magazine article, but I can listen to a podcast. So I'm trying to serve serve that audience which is you guys because you're listening so okay so so that's kind of some of my go-tos and and i'll I'll put links in the show notes for those if you're having you you shouldn't have difficulty finding them but i'll I'll put links in the show notes uh but so shane um one thing i'm not so clear that i made the point of in that prior episode where where i talked about this stuff was that protection level and cost are not necessarily related uh, so as I mentioned before, I'm going to be talking about helmet and helmet fitting and selection in an upcoming episode. I'm guessing not necessarily the next one, but probably the one after that. Um, but, you know, you'll, you'll hear many, many people say that a less expensive helmet that fits properly will protect you much better than an expensive helmet that does not fit properly. So that that's just kind of an example of where cost is not necessarily the thing. Now, Okay, that's in regards to fit. I I would, you know, my opinion is that a properly fitted, more expensive helmet possibly could have a little bit better protection than a less expensive, properly fitted helmet. But even as that's not necessarily the case, right? And and the the reason being that you can find inexpensive helmets that offer good protection features. What you tend to get as you spend more money is a variety of things. One can just be brand name. 
some of the brand names are more expensive and they've got more, you know, they spend more money on marketing and whatever. So there can be some of that, a little bit of a premium because it's a well-known name. But aside from that, and I, I wouldn't even consider that that's a huge factor, um, is you're going to be looking at things like quality of materials, ease of use of the product, um, you know, features, right? So like in a jacket, you know, how many pockets does it have and where are the pockets and how convenient to get to? Uh, if, if it has waterproof qualities, how good is the waterproofing kind of thing? You know, when it comes to helmets, um, how much can you adjust the padding inside the helmet so that you can customize the fit to your head? And again, you know, I'll talk about that in the, the upcoming episode on helmets. Um, but so the point is that more money doesn't, you don't, don't necessarily have to spend a lot of money to get a helmet that's going to protect you properly. Um, you know, again, it may just be the additional features and things, which you have to decide if you do or don't want those things. And if it's worth worth it to you, whatever the upgrading cost is going to be. But so when it comes to helmets, so things like that I'm I'm looking for, right, is right minimally you want a DOT approved helmet. So, you know, you can go online and you can look at the specifications and regulations for Department of Transportation standards for helmets in the United States. So, so minimally, that's something I would look for. Uh, you know, the two cycle gear helmets, um, the built helmets that I have, the, the one that Gina has are DOT certified helmets. Uh, do a search on the internet. Uh, I know Ryan F9 from Fort Nine did a really good video on DOT standards. If I recall correctly, I don't know, like the standard goes back to like the 70s or 80s or something like that. So there's a fair amount of criticism of the DOT. One, because it's an older standard that hasn't really been updated over the years. And two, because it is a, it, it's basically an honor system kind of thing that manufacturers... And again, I don't know all the details, but you can you can read it online or you can learn about more online. But basically, DOT certification means that the manufacturer is saying they're putting a mark on the helmet saying that they are complying with whatever it is that's outlined in the DOT specification. Uh, there's, I believe the Department of Transportation does like kind of random samples and things like they'll buy helmets from manufacturers that are marked as DOT certified and they'll test them out and I guess if they fail the test, then whatever happens, you know, there's, I'm guessing, penalties and fines and things involved, but it's very much on the honor system. So there's some controversy about that. Uh, definitely, I would not go for a novelty helmet, and I would not recommend anyone go for a novelty helmet. You know, that that's the kind of thing that you find online someplace or in a shop, and there's no DOT marking or any kind of you know, there's no marking at all that it's got any kind of safety certification. They're just kind of things that are funky shapes or whatever that people can wear and feel like they're wearing a helmet or, or you know, that whatever a police officer might see and go, okay, that looks okay without inspecting it close up. So that's definitely something you want to stay away from. You also want to make sure that you're not getting any kind of knockoff helmet. So personally, I only buy from well-known established retailers, uh, you know, whatever that is, pick your favorite, Cycle Gear, Revzilla, uh, motorcycle house. I don't know. There's there's a bunch of them out there. You know, there's if you're in Canada, there's a uh, Fort Nine. Um, but you know, I wouldn't buy off a provider on eBay or or any place that it seems like a fly by night kind of operation, for lots of reasons. One, it could actually just be a knockoff. You know, it could just be something manufactured someplace, not officially licensed or approved by the manufacturer. You know, that whose name is on it <clears throat> could be counterfeit kind of stuff, and something like you know, it's one thing. With a jacket or gloves or something, yeah, okay, you know, maybe I wouldn't worry about it so much. But when it comes to a helmet, <clears throat> that's your most critical piece of uh, 
gear and you don't want to mess around with that. The other thing you can run into is they could be legitimate helmets, but you know, maybe it's old stock that's been sitting around and there there is a bit of a shelf life to helmets. You know, people will tell you that helmets should be like even if they haven't been in an accident, well, if a helmet's been in an accident, right, you replace it because the the EPS foam, the foam layer that's actually what is between your head and the outer shell, the thing that absorbs most of the impact and the, the energy of a crash. Um, is destructive, meaning, you know, it, it gets damaged in the process of protecting your head. So if you ever are in an accident and your helmet is used and it hits the ground or whatever, hits something, whatever it happens to be, the recommendation is replace the helmet. Uh, I know people do talk about, you know, if you drop your helmet, you know, like it's on the handlebars and then it drops or something like that, you should also replace it. Uh, do your own research on that. I recently came across a video by Arai in which they say, no, you do not have to worry about that uh, because the amount of force and impact in something like that, you know, the helmet falling three feet just from gravity and hitting the ground is not enough to cause permanent damage. That That's what they said in the Arai video. Um, but all right, so inform yourself and decide for that kind of thing. But that actually kind of did relieve some concern I had because I've heard that, oh my, you know, you drop your helmet and oh my God, you have to buy another one. And you know, what if it's a $500, $700 helmet? Seems like maybe that's not such a big deal. Uh, but anyway, certainly if it gets used in a crash, you want to replace it. So, so I guess, so the point is that, so there's that. And then there's the other thing, you know, people will tell you even without a crash that you want to replace a helmet. I've heard anywhere from like five to seven years. Uh, and the reason being that depending on how the helmet is used and how it's stored, the EPS foam can deteriorate over time and it loses its ability to properly protect you according to the way it was designed, you know, the original design specification. So again, something to be aware of. And then in terms of helmet ratings, optionally, you could look for a helmet that is Snell rated. Uh, minimally, I would say Snell 2015. Now that the Snell 2020 specification is out and there actually are helmets out uh, that are complying, like for example, Arai is now complying with Snell 2020 in their newest helmets. Um, again, I'll talk about it in the future episode that the Arai helmet I bought was actually on closeout. It was last year's helmet. Uh, I think it was manufactured January 2019 that I got from Cycle Gear. So, I mean, I, I trust Cycle Gear as a source, so I'm not concerned that it's been mistreated. Um, <clears throat> but it has, you know, theoretically sitting on the shelf for a year. So it may have a slightly reduced shelf life. Um, but then I did get it for a really good price, which like I said, I'll, I'll talk about another time. Um, I did see, and again, talking about price that cycle gear, right. Has, they have built, you know, built their, their built line of products. They also have a, another brand sub brand called Sedici. And I actually saw that they've got a Sedici helmet that is Snell rated. Uh, I believe it was a full face helmet uh, and is on closeout currently the different models ranging from 130 to $200. So that's kind of interesting. Um, you know, the fact that you could get a Snell rated helmet for, you know, $130 and, and up possibly even less than maybe other manufacturers. Uh, but I definitely would say, you know, check the manufacturer date, you know, on such a helmet, you know, either if you're buying it in the store or you buy it online, you get it, check it out. If you're not satisfied, return it. Uh, just because, like I said, helmets could have been sitting in the warehouse for a while. Uh, when, when I talked to the Arai technician at IMS at the motorcycle show, uh, he said, I'm trying to remember what it was. I, I think what he said was they consider the shelf life to be seven years on a helmet. 
um, they warrant they warranty helmets for five years. So his I guess his point was so if I buy a closeout helmet, even if it had been sitting on the shelf for two years, there's another five years of life out of it. So I would get the full benefit of the warranty. So whatever. Again, just something to factor in. But uh, so so just based on that quick little kind of looking around and research, you know, I I would say that you know expect to pay like one hundred and twenty five dollars and up. You know for a good helmet to protect you. Again, it wouldn't necessarily be Snell. It doesn't have to be Snell. Um, when I talk about the helmets, I'll mention, you know, I'm in the process of reading uh, Lee Park's book, Total Control. And he actually talks in there a little bit about Snell helmets. And uh, in that upcoming episode, I'll actually quote some things from there. But the point I'm getting to is, you know, some of the information he has there is at one time there was some concerns about Snell and and their rating system and things. That's evidently changed a little bit over the years and I guess they've changed their how they do the testing and their testing standards but the point I'm getting to is again educate yourself about the Snell system and what that means and what a Snell certified helmet is and promises to you um, because you know there's no panacea right there's no perfect anything right so Snell has its advantages okay maybe other things have you know their advantages as well all right, so then uh, coming to a, a jacket, right? So basically, you know, you want something that's going to provide abrasion protection. So you go down and you slide or whatever. You want something that's going to protect you and, you know, you're not going to get road rash or not severe road rash. So I definitely would say textile or leather is is good. I mean, all the all the jackets I have are textile, just how it's kind of hap- happened, worked out. Uh, when I'm on the track, I will be looking for leather, you know, actually a leather one-piece suit. So obviously leather is good. Uh, also, you want to make sure you've got crash protection. Um, personally, like I like having, you know, armor in all the places that's possible. So uh, definitely shoulders, elbows, forearms. It's one of the things I like about my Bond Armor shirt is it's got very good forearm protection almost up to the wrist. Keep in mind that many jackets that you buy off the shelf don't come with proper back armor. Uh, they just have some kind of memory foam insert or something that's kind of the shape of, of armor that you would put in. So if you buy a jacket that does not come with back armor, I would definitely suggest to upgrade. Uh, some people actually use back protectors as opposed to you know an armor piece that slides into the jacket pocket. You can actually get a separate back protector, which track riders often use. And actually, when we did the two-up experience with Chris Ulrich, they had us put on back protectors under the leather suits. Uh, but it's basically a, a separate piece, so it's a, a nice big protector that protects your whole spine, you know, and then there's like straps that go over your shoulders and it buckles around the waist kind of thing. So that's an option. You know, now you're getting into more expense and it's additional stuff to put on and, you know, maybe a little a little less comfortable, but just something to be just to be aware of. You know, personally, I think a back protector like that is overkill for the street. Uh, like I, I wouldn't wear one unless I was doing like really aggressive riding, like canyon carving or something like that, then for sure, you know, I would definitely look at doing that. But Personally, I think it's a little bit of overkill for the street, but definitely couldn't hurt, you know, and that's kind of a personal choice for, for people to make. Um, and like I said, uh, if the jacket, well, and aside from the back protector, if the jacket you buy has kind of so-so armor, you can always upgrade that. You know, you can buy a jacket, use the armor as is, and as you have the budget, you can upgrade. A lot of people like to upgrade to D3O armor, um, which is a, a special kind of energy-absorbing material. Um an interesting thing, and again, I don't know a great deal about it, but something to be aware of in research is when I spoke with, um, 
and unfortunately her name escapes me right now, but the woman from Bon Armor, you know, she owns Bon Armor with her husband, she was telling me that like the EPS foam in helmets, I didn't realize this, but D3O armor is actually, uh, you know, destructive, meaning when it's used in an impact, it loses its ability to further protect. So she was saying that, you know, if you're in an accident and you're wearing D3O armor and, you know, some of the armor gets used, compressed or whatever, you're supposed to replace it. So again, that's something to check out. Um, you know, as far as a jacket goes, kind of my experience with the jackets I have and, you know, just briefly what I've seen, you know, it's, I'd say you're going to spend about 150 and up. Uh, then when it comes to pants, you know, you want to protect your legs. Um, I ride in just normal jeans or like textile pants when it gets cold just because it cuts the wind. You know, I don't get the wind chill factor. Keep in mind that normal jeans don't really provide much, if any, abrasion protection. If you look at videos on, on the Internet like YouTube and stuff, you'll see that uh, regular uh denim sh like using jeans shreds very easily you know uh, when you're doing a slide on the pavement kind of thing so then you've got the option of things like if you look at tobacco motor wear um, they have jeans that are made from selvage denim which is evidently a very very tough durable denim as well as having kevlar liners so you can you know look at like their product or there's a lot of similar products cycle gear sells you know <clears throat> jeans lined with Kev kevlar or you can even get Kevlar undergarments like I use. Uh, Dragon Jeans makes some stuff. So you, it's basically like a base layer. You can get shirt. You can get pants that just cover you basically, you know, neck neck to ankles in Kevlar, you know, type material. And I happen to like their stuff because it's a kind of an open weave. So it's very protective, but it breathes well. So it's, it's pretty comfortable to wear. Uh, and then also don't forget Bond Armor. And, uh, you know, if you've listened to prior episodes, you'll know that um, – if you use the, the code uh, that I, and I, I'll put it in the podcast notes, um, but if you use the code for this podcast, you can get 10% off your, off your purchase from Bond Armor. You can just check out episode 28, which was titled Gearing Up with Bond Body Armor for details. And like I said, I'll also include the, the code in the show notes uh, in this episode. Um, that, that discount is good anytime. There's, there's no expiration on it, but you know that, that you can't combine that with any other offers that are out there at the time. I know around the holidays, they were doing like a 20% discount you know, like a Black Friday thing. So you'll keep that in mind. And uh, if you mention the show that you heard about Bon Armor on the show, you will also get a free helmet liner. So check that out. Um, so yeah, so I use the Bon Armor pants just under my normal jeans, or like I said, if it's cooler weather, uh, I'll just wear them under textile pants. So figure pants, and again, depending on the brand and the quality and the features, you know, you're going to be spending like 100 to $150 and up. So then next item comes to gloves. Um, I always use full finger gloves. You know, you will see people use like in the, the, the warmer weather, summer, whatever, use fingerless gloves. Personally, I don't like doing that. I just like to have full protection. Um, you know, I go for lever, le I go for leather whenever possible. I do have kind of textile-based gloves that are more convenient for the cooler weather, like the fall and into the winter, but definitely the, the best protection you can get. Um, I always, if I can look for some kind of good knuckle protection, either like formed rubber or plastic or something like that. Uh, again, one for abrasion protection, you know, on the back of the hand, it's kind of a vulnerable area, but also just to protect the, the bones in your hand or something like that. You know, when you, if you come off a motorcycle, you know, limbs tend to fly and you kind of get that accelerated motion, you know, you can hit pretty hard if you're like hitting an extremity or something like that. So I like to look for knuckle protection. And then the other thing I've started looking at recently, uh, particularly 
you know, for track riding, but even on the street is some kind of slide protection on the palms and other parts of the hand. Um, one just for kind of a little impact protection, but also if you do go down so that you slide easily and your hand's not catching on things that might be on the ground or the pavement or whatever. The, the thing I kind of like to do is imagine the different ways that you might possibly fall off a motorcycle and then just think about like what could happen and where would you like to have protection like between you and the, the pavement or if you're an off-road rider, you know, between you and the dirt or you and rocks or something like that. But, you know, I would say gloves, you know, plan to spend like $50 or more. Um, I may talk about these also upcoming episode, but I just spent $250 on a pair of track gloves for, you know, riding on the track this year. Uh, heroic, um, yeah, sorry, heroic racing apparel. Uh, I got them on a show special. Um, really, really nice gloves. They're made from kangaroo hide and they've got uh, stingray sliders and whatever. Really excellent, excellent gloves. Mostly I'll be using them on the track. I did wear them once on the street. They were actually very, very comfortable. So whenever the weather's suitable, like I would not want to wear these in the rain because I don't want to wreck $250 leather gloves in the rain. Although I, I don't know, actually I should check. Maybe they're fine. Maybe that's not really an issue, but Anyway, th those are my track gloves, so I will wear them on the street when it's uh, practical to do so. But I've got plenty of other gloves, you know, that I that I wear. And that brings me to the last item, uh, which is boots. So I, you know, always look for boots that have some kind of toe and ankle protection. You know, in some cases, it's like kind of a steel toe, uh, or you know, some kind of metal or plastic in the ankle area. Uh, the better, more track-oriented boots are actually designed kind of along the lines of what you have with ski boots, like, you know, which have a, a hard plastic outer shell and a soft inner boot. But the basic idea is that there's different designs that help keep your ankle from twisting or bending side to side, you know, a way that would, that it doesn't need to bend or it's not, <laughs> it's not meant to bend or, you know, that could cause a break or something like that. So, uh, you know, generally, so you're able to pivot, you know, pivot your ankle, you know, kind of forward, backward, playing the way you would need to, to, to work the controls, the brake and the uh, shift lever and, and whatnot, but uh, not, not that would allow it to twist side to side or so, you know, if, if you did have a wreck or something that came off the bike, you know, the kind of forces that might be applied are less likely to, to cause problems to your ankle. Of course, you may want to go for waterproofing. Um, that That's a whole other topic is, you know, how to choose uh, gear for, for for different riding conditions, you know, different weather conditions and stuff. I personally am pretty set up very well for any any kind of heat, you know, high heat or high cold situations. I haven't done much riding in the rain, so I can't offer a great deal of advice on that. Uh, I do have waterproof waterproof boots that I've used. Uh, I have ridden in the rain a couple times, not for more than a couple hours. So the, the, I don't I don't have really good rain gear. I guess is my point. So that's another thing you could spend money on. You know, I'm guessing to get good you know, really waterproof rain gear, you're probably talking hundreds of dollars and up. And then, you know, again, you've got options like you can get, you know, your kind of everyday riding gear with Gore-Tex layer so that, you know, it, it serves multiple purposes. So it's your regular riding gear that's also good in the rain. Again, you're going to be spending more. You know, you can look at brands like uh, like Climb and um, I forget the other one. Uh, escapes me right now I'll put it in the show notes but 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 there there are manufacturers that make like gear you know some of it's intended for off-road use and adventure riding and stuff like that but you know for severe conditions and stuff so that's that's something to consider uh as far as boots go you know if you're talking about street riding i think you definitely want something that'll be comfortable to walk in particularly if you're doing like an all-day trip or a weekend or something like that you know you want 
shoes that are good and protect your feet on the bike, but that when you get off, they're comfortable to walk around and you don't have to bring extra shoes or change shoes or whatever. You know, some people will use just regular work boots or, or, you know, good hiking boots on the motorcycle. You know, again, personal choice. I, I prefer boots that are specifically for motorcycling. And in particularly, in particular, I avoid anything that's got laces. The only exception to that is my summer riding shoes. I've got these really excellent TCX uh, shoes that are very breathable. Uh, they've got good good protection. They're not a very high boot. It's more like a shoe, so it just comes over the ankle bone, but it's got fairly good protection, but they're very breathable, so they're really comfortable even in the really hot weather. And that's the one case I made kind of an exception to the rule of, of not having shoes with laces. But what is nice is they do have a Velcro strap, so... You know that goes across the laces, so I can lace up the boot and then take, you know, the the bow and whatever, and and tuck it under the velcro and just kind of, you know, put the velcro strap over it, and it just kind of holds the lacing secure. The, the thing is, you just don't want the laces to get caught in anything like your controls or the chain or anything like that. So that's why I try to avoid laces. Uh, all my other boots are, are fairly high boots above the ankle. So you know, I'd say a good pair of shoes or my motorcycle boots are going to be like a hundred dollars or up. So, you know, just kind of tally it up quick. So boots figure 100 and up, uh, gloves 50 is 150, add another 100 for pants is 250, uh, 150 for a jacket is whether 3 400 and then 100 something. So figure 125, so uh, what was it, 400, so like 525, 550, you know, I'd say for a, a pretty good setup you know, that would give you some good protection and some good features. Obviously, you can spend way more than that. You know, uh, you can shop for closeouts. You know, that's a real, you know, just whatever. Get gear that's a season or too old or something like that. You know, it doesn't mean, you know, it could still be excellent gear. It just doesn't have the latest features or it's been redesigned a little bit by the manufacturer or whatever. So, you know, you can shop around. Uh, Shane, you're you're in a good situation where, you know, you, you're getting ready to do the course. You haven't bought a motorcycle yet, so you've kind of got time. I don't know... Um, if I remember correctly, you live down south, and I don't remember if it's Georgia or Florida. I think it was Georgia. Um, so, I mean, I guess actually you could be riding all year round as well. But, uh, you know, if you've got some time, you can kind of start shopping around, you know, make a little checklist of the things that you want. And then, uh, you know, keep your, keep your eyes open on the different websites and things. You know, you can even subscribe to emails. Like I get emails all the time from Revzilla and Cycle Gear and, you know, the, the whatever. They're having sales or closeouts, you know, and just uh, – when you see something good that meets your needs and it was within your budget, you know, just pull the trigger and go for it. So Shane, I hope that all answered your question a little more directly and a little more in detail. And I hope uh, everybody else listening gets something out of it. Uh, of course, you know, experienced writers who are listening, if you've got things to add to what I said, uh, you know, shoot me an email and I'll definitely share it with the, the listeners on an upcoming episode. You know, I, I definitely value input from everyone. You know, you can always email me at uh, so you want to ride at yahoo.com. So uh, keeping in the uh, the spirit of this episode, so actually we're at about the 43 or so minute mark, so it looks like this is going to be a longer episode, but so in regard to New Year's ride resolutions and plans for 2020, so I wanted to talk a little bit about my New Year's resolutions. So number one is I decided no more promising episodes I don't deliver on. So in particular, anyone who's been listening to you know to me for a while or even has listened to all the episodes know I keep mentioning this thing. I'm going to do this episode where I read the listener email. Um, now, I have to admit, no one has called me out on it. But then again, maybe you guys are 
and ladies are being polite, and so you haven't called me out on it. Um, but it, it, it does bother me like that I keep saying this and I don't do it. Uh, has not been on purpose. It's just what happens is I just, I don't know, there's just so much to talk about, and I keep coming up with new things to talk about, and I feel better poised to do that. And so I release an episode and it's like, okay, the next one I'll do the listener emails. So I'm not going to keep saying that it's coming. Um, what I will say is this, I do appreciate all the emails that I get. I do answer all the emails. And uh, yeah, so at, 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 at some point in the future, I am going to make sure I'm reading all the emails that I get. So all right, so that's that resolution. Uh, also, another resolution as I want to do better at keeping in the weekly schedule. I, I've been pretty good at that since the beginning of the podcast. There have been a few times, you know, a little vacation here or there, or just recently around the holidays where I've kind of skipped that out. So I want to try to get a little more disciplined about that. So I keep the content coming. I know, like I listen to a lot of podcasts and it can be frustrating. You kind of get into a pattern. It's like, okay, well, you know, this podcast usually comes out on this day. So I'll listen to that one then. And then that podcast comes out and I listen to that one. And then they miss one or they skip one. And then it, it kind of throws you off. So I'm not doing it on purpose. Uh, but like I said, I'll try to try to keep them coming on a weekly basis. Uh, honestly, I have so much to talk about and so many people to interview. I could, I could do multiple episodes a week. Like I've got the content for it. I just unfortunately don't have the time. So I think instead of, uh, you know, instead of over promising and under delivering, I'd rather has a yeah, you know, under promise and over deliver. So definitely want to keep on the weekly thing. If I can squeeze in other episodes here and there, I I will definitely do that. And and maybe I've kind of thought maybe it would be like a park, you know, for supporters of the show, particularly if I go to that Patreon model. So we'll see on that. Then uh, on the more personal side, one of my resolutions is to get in more writing this year. Yeah, so that the thing, and I've mentioned before, and the thing I keep thinking about is that to me, motorcycles are for riding, not just talking about. You know, and it's kind of interesting, you know, doing my own podcast, and then, and I also haven't been on uh, Throttled in a while, but I, I'm definitely going to continue, you know, there on Throttled as long as they're willing to have me as a co-host. Um, but it's like you can spend so much time talking about motorcycles and reading about motorcycles and watching YouTube videos. It's just like, well, yeah, but the things are there for riding. So uh, I, I just want to, and it's not like I'm dissatisfied with what I did in 2019. I enjoyed all of it. It's just when I look at it, just not as much as I'd like to do. Um, what I'm just not sure about is you know, I want to kind of set a target for 2020, but I'm not quite sure what to make the target. You know, originally I was thinking like the number of miles to ride. And I was like, oh, well, what would be good would be like 5,000 miles a year, you know, for the year or something like that. And it's interesting because, uh, you know, Jed's, you know, Justin Edson's been on the show and, uh, you know, I follow him on Facebook and various, you know, chat groups and whatever. And I think that dude does like 20,000 miles a year or something like that. And I think I saw a post he's, he's shooting for 30,000 this year. So I was like looking at it going, you know, so to me, 5,000 sounds like a lot, but I'm like, actually look at it. You know, if I just rode like say 50 weeks out of the year, that's a hundred miles a week which doesn't sound like a lot, but like I, I, I don't commute by bike. I work in the city. It's just not practical to commute by bike. So that leaves the weekends, you know, and if I can squeeze in a ride on the weekend, unless it's like, you know, a weekend trip, you know, or go away for the whole weekend, which is rare, you know, it's maybe 50, maybe 50, 75 miles. Yeah. If I stretch it a hundred. So I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Like I don't, I don't, I guess my point is I don't want to set a goal or a target that's not really attainable. Right. Cause then that's no fun. Like if you, if you don't meet your goals, then, you know, you feel like you lost. So that that's no fun. So I was like, well, then maybe I should, instead of doing it based on miles, maybe I should just be like how many days I ride. So at any rate, I, I don't know. I'm still kicking it around. Um, 
you know, the, the one thing is I don't want riding to become like an obligation where it's like, oh, I didn't ride this week, so now I have to feel bad because, you know, for me, it's a fun thing to do. It's a diversion. It's a way to get out and just relax and enjoy myself. So I don't want to put any, you know, undue stupid pressure on myself. And it actually reminds me a little bit of the Motorcycle Podcasters Challenge, you know, where the first year where uh, the podcast did that, it was uh, all mileage based. You know, it was like, which 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 group of podcast hosts did the most miles during the three-week period? And, you know, one of the reasons they changed the format the following year and, and the years going forward is, you know, all the guys that were participating said, yeah, it just became a drag because it was like, it was like, oh, you know, we, we got to get ahead in the points so we got to ride more miles. And, oh, the quickest way to do that is get out on the highway after work and, you know, just pound the miles and just go, you know, go straight line it and come back. And they just said it was no fun. It was just not, not a, not a fun thing to do. So, Anyway, so that's the point is uh, I don't want it to become like an obligation or something where I'm not enjoying the riding. So if anyone's got suggestions, let me know. Like I said, maybe, maybe I'll just, you know, be like, okay, I'll make it my goal to ride at least one day a week or something like that and not not set it miles or hours or anything like that. But so we'll go. So let, we'll see how that goes. So let me let me know on that. All right. So then, um, yeah, so along the lines of riding more this year in 2020. So this was really good. So I did get in a New Year's Day ride. So it was my, my first ride of the new year, of course. Um, and so what I ended up doing is what's called the Isle of Manhattan ride. And it's actually, it's kind of cool how, how they promote it. So it's Isle of Man, M-A-N, and then Hatton, like in parentheses, right? So kind of like the Isle of Man TT, which is kind of what caught my eye. And um, I'm trying to remember, it was the gentleman... And hang on one second, because his name has escaped me. So, yes. Okay. So, um, yeah. So, Jesse Erlbaum, who uh, I had become friends with on Facebook. And actually, I think the first thing was I had joined, um, requested to join his Facebook page. He's got a, a Facebook page called the New York Motorcycle and Scooter Task Force, which, uh, of course, you can check out on Facebook uh, if you're interested in, in joining up. But um, he had posted something about this Isle of Manhattan ride. Uh, and so I was like, I don't know. I'd seen it. I think the the week before, even just a couple of days before New Year's Day, and I was like, oh, I just kind of stuck in the back of my head. And um, you know, Gina and I hung out New Year's Eve with some friends and stuff like that. You know, it was just hanging out with friends. It wasn't any big big deal. Fortunately, I didn't drink anything. Um, well, a little champagne, but to, and much much to speak of. So it was kind of nice, like getting up the next day and just not having uh, any hangover <laughs> or whatever. Um, but yeah, so I was kind of glad I didn't drink anything. But um, yeah, so it's the you know, so New Year's that day, New Year's Eve day, you know, I was kinda of thinking about it. I was like, Yeah, you know, it'd be nice to, to just go do that thing. I wasn't quite sure what the weather was gonna be like and whatever. So anyway, long story short. So I woke up woke up early in the morning. I was like, Okay, well the weather looks pretty decent. It, it was cold, um, but you know, it looked like the sun was gonna be out, it wasn't gonna rain or anything like that. So I was like, All right, let me let me go do this thing. So um Yeah, so all right, so it's a little bit of history of this thing. So, like I said, never heard of this this ride before doing it. Um, so this gentleman called Skull, I don't know where the nickname comes from, but he started this uh, Isle of Manhattan ride like 29 years ago. And the, the story basically goes that, uh, and actually I'll, I'll post a link to a little video interview with him. You know, he said uh, he just always likes to explore the places that he lives, you know, and kind of ride around the perimeter and the outskirts. And he's evidently been living in Manhattan for a long time. And I guess so after he had first moved there, he's like, hey, you know, let me just go right around the perimeter of Manhattan and just see what there is to see and what it's like. And so he started that 29 years ago and it's just kind of become a tradition and friends heard that he was doing this. They're like, Hey, can we come along? 
And he was like, sure. So it's just a very kind of informal thing that's now become this annual tradition on New Year's Day. So you know, he says that the, the loop is 25 miles. Um, he normally starts at noon, although the, the group ride started at 11. So that was kind of interesting. So he evidently showed up for the you know, for his Isle of Manhattan ride after a lot of people had come back already. Um, but anyway, so he, he says he does the ride in like 45 minutes. He takes his time. He's not rushing anywhere. Uh, and he commented that last year when he did the ride, uh, he was the last the last one to finish. Like everyone else had passed him. So you know, he's an older gentleman. I'm not sure exactly how old. Looks like you know, it could be late 50s, early 60s, or something. But so he just goes out to ride and enjoy himself. And friends come along, and you know, so so there you have it. But uh, I, I was surprised. It was a pretty big group. So at any rate, um, so so that morning, you know, so New Year's New Year's Day, I woke up. And I was like, all right, well, if I get my, you know, if I get my button gear here, get showered, the whole deal, I can jump out the, on the bike. Um, I think it was going to be like people were meeting at like 10 o'clock and then it was kickstands up at 11. Um, anyway, so I got myself going and got the bike, you know, ready, check the tire pressure and whatever, you know, check it over a little bit, just do some things, make sure I had my easy pass, which is for, for tolls, you know, getting into the city on there. And anyway, long story short, you know, between breakfast and coffee and the whole thing, I was like looking at it going, oh man, I might not make this thing in time. But I was like, okay, let me just go for it and see. I kind of was thinking this was going to be like a small little thing. Like, you know, I was expecting uh, maybe 10 people or less or something like that, really like informal kind of thing. I didn't know much, much about it. But so, uh, yeah, so I headed out for it. Um, I did bring my heated gear, which was really good. Although it was like, I think 42 or 43 or something in the morning when I left, you know, not like that cold, but you got to remember, I don't have an, a fairing on my bike. I do have like a little bikini fairing, but it does nothing to protect you from the wind. So, you know, you're doing 70, 75 miles, you know, on, on for me on the parkways on Long Island or the expressway or whatever. And I actually did a quick little look up. You know, if you're if it's like 42 degrees, but then, you know, you're 70, 75 miles an hour. So with a 70, 75 mile an hour wind with the wind chill, it's like 29 degrees. So it's below freezing. So, uh, you know, I was like, because it was kind of funny because I had posted like a photo on Facebook and some about, you know, hey, you know, here's a picture of the, uh, you know, I showed on my, my motorcycle has a temperature gauge, you know, uh, ambient temperature gauge. I was like, oh, look at me, you know, 42 degrees, you know, wish me warmth. And I got a lot of re replies like, oh, 42, that's nothing. That's that's warm. You know, wait till you ride and, you know, the, the teens or whatever. And then I'm like looking at it going, well, first of all, I was really glad I had the heated gear because it would have been really uncomfortable if I didn't, particularly because, you know, yes, it was 25 miles around um, Manhattan, but, you know, there's some distance for me to get from where I live on Long Island into Manhattan. So for me, it was a 90, 90 mile ride, like round trip. So what is that? It was like about 30, yeah, I guess it was about 30 miles you know, into and out of the city for a 25 mile ride around the city. All right. So I was really glad, you know, once I looked, I was like, yeah, no wonder why I liked having the heated gear, you know, the jacket and gloves, because effectively it was, was below freezing. So anyway, so with that stuff, I was actually pretty comfortable. It was, it was good to get out on the bike and ride, especially for the first day of the new year. Um, but so, so the ride in general. So, yeah, so I'm like, okay, I, I like, I'm like, looking at the clock on the dashboard going, ah, I'm just going to make this. I don't want to miss the kickstands up or whatever. But like I said, that's ah, probably, you know, 10 guys hanging out. So I, I get, I went through the Midtown Tunnel, if anyone's familiar with Manhattan, got out in, you know, Midtown Manhattan. And then I rode down south to where the meetup point was. And I kind of round the corner. And all I see is what, you know, this is exaggerating a little bit, but it was like the sea of motorcycles on both sides of the street. I was like, wow, this is like a serious thing. It wasn't like 10 bikes. I mean, I didn't count, but, 
I'm guessing there had to be at least 100 bikes, maybe more, all different types, you know, cruisers, you know, Harleys and Indians and, you know, sport bikes and naked bikes and vintage bikes, older bikes, you know, look like a couple guys on two strokes and stuff like that. Guy with a sidecar, like really cool. Um, I actually, have, I posted photos on Facebook. I'll, I'll try to put links to my Facebook page if anyone wants to check it out. And actually, uh, you do have to join to become a member, but this task force facebook page that i mentioned um actually no sorry i'll put the link to there's actually an isle of manhattan facebook page now you have to request to become a member but people are posting photos and videos and stuff on there anyway so point was well the, the point is i had a really great time i uh, really enjoyed it overall i definitely will do it again next year if i can and and, and every year that i can um but so just kind of briefly like the overall experience so you know, I, I, like I said, I got there like right at 11 o'clock and I wasn't quite sure what was going on. Like I could see a couple guys that obviously were, were leading the ride because they had like, you know, high vis vests and helmets on and, you know, they're kind of moving around and talking to people like they were coordinating things. I don't know if there had been a pre-ride meeting or anything. I don't think so. Just with the number of people and just being in Manhattan, you know, which is very congested. I don't think there would have been a place for people to meet, but I was like on the bike with the heated gear on. I didn't want to have to unplug. You know, I did want to get off the bike and say, you know, introduce myself and say hello to people. But there were some people sitting on bikes with the engines running. Then there were people off the bikes. There were people starting their bikes. So at any rate, I was like, you know what? Let me not get into a situation because this is always a problem like in a group ride is like I never want to be the last person to be ready. Right. So you don't want to be like, okay, everyone's getting on the bikes and off they go. And you're like putting your gloves and helmet on and you know, slowing everything down. So I was like, all right, let me just chill here. I left the, the engine running, left the gear on, the heated gear on. And I just kind of waited till the group took off and then uh, off we went and I followed. And then a uh, really cool ride, you know, going around Manhattan. Um, you know, I'm familiar with most of Manhattan. So a lot of it wasn't things I hadn't seen before, but, you know, different views and different angles and maybe some roads I hadn't been on before. Um, you know, for me, going in a group ride is sometimes not difficult but it's like you can't always i can't always fully appreciate the ride because partly you know you're keeping an eye on the group you know you're around other bikes you want to make sure you're not interfering with anyone else so some of your attention is on that and you're not you know it's not like when you're on roads that you've been on before or where you're choosing the route you can just kind of you know lazily look around and take everything in so i definitely enjoyed the ride you know i got to see things but some of the attention was on sticking with the group and whatever but the group did stretch out pretty quickly. I mean, like I said, there had to be like at least 100 bikes. You know, there are traffic lights and things on the local streets until you get to the perimeter roads around Manhattan, which are more highways like the FDR Drive and things like that. Um, so the group did get spread out. Um, so, you know, I did the best I could to just keep rolling with things and, and keep up with the group. Um, you know, there were bikes in all three lanes. It wasn't like there was, you know, one lane of motorcycles. It was like the lead guys kind of seemed to take off. And then, you know, there was all the rest of us and, you know, changing lanes or whatever to keep up with the others and kind of in, interspersed and intermixed with traffic or whatever. But all right. So, so we went up first, the East side of Manhattan, uh, went up North, then kind of crossed over and then coming down the West side was kind of interesting. Uh, because, you know, I saw like traffic slowing down and it looked like, you know, I saw like, you know, red lights, you know, police car or something or whatever it was or fire truck or something like what's going on here. You know, I'm like, okay, maybe there's an accident or something. And all the traffic has slowed down and the cars were kind of moving over to the left and, and some motorcycles were kind of going through, but not everyone was in our group. Like I'd seen some motorcycles kind of come in and out. You know, sometimes you see a group of motorcycles and you kind of just join in or whatever for a while until it's your exit. So anyway, 
so there's kind of two lanes blocked off by a police car and then there's an officer directing people into a parking lot and i see a whole like i don't know like 50 motorcycles in the parking lot so i'm like oh okay i I don't know i guess because i kind of at first, I thought maybe there's going to be a police escort for this ride when I saw the number of bikes and there were some police cars around, but then the, the ride took off and there was no police escort. So whatever, I wasn't quite sure what was going on. Uh, and like I said, I wasn't in the know because I wasn't in any kind of meeting. I just kind of showed up and joined the ride. But I'm like, okay, maybe this is like the official meeting point And now maybe there's going to be a police escort from that point. Well, it turns out, and I don't know all the details and I'm not going to get into the politics of it and whatever because it's not that important but evidently there was some kind of kerfuffle going on where uh, i guess from the start of the ride there had been police cars around and i guess the police were kind of keeping an eye on what was going on and it just got to a point like and this this is just what i've heard and chatting with people a little bit when the ride concluded and then just some things i saw on facebook and whatever it seems like the police were not happy with how the ride was going you know they felt that there were too many bikes weaving in and out of traffic. They said bikes were speeding and it's just not safe. And so at that point, it actually kind of was like sort of like a little bit of a police blockade, I guess, where they were directing bikes off off the, the road and evidently had informed the people leading the ride that the, the group ride is now over. It's like disband. You know, you guys are done. Uh, we can't have this kind of thing. So anyway, so the Facebook, there's been some kind of stuff back and forth. You know, like I said, I, I'm, I don't want to get in the middle of it and give any particular opinion. I mean, I'm sure there's, there's both sides are correct about certain things. Uh, what I will say is it was a ton of fun. It's something I'd love to do again. Um, you know, I met some cool people. I got to meet uh, Jesse Erlbaum, which was really cool. Actually, well, I've talked to him about having him on the podcast one of these days. So hopefully we'll get around to doing that. But the most important thing is it was awesome just to get out on the bike. First day of the new year, the weather was good. I had my comfortable heated gear. Got in 90 miles. It was kind of a really good way to start things off. So uh, so I guess long story short is, uh, okay, so I, I'm, I'm already sticking to one of my resolutions to ride more in 2020. And uh, one thing I do want to end off with is, although I, I didn't get formally introduced and I don't know their names or whatever, uh, just a, a thank you to, to the guys that led the ride and, you know, kind of put the thing together this year. Um you know, like, okay, so there's a little thing with the police and stopping us and whatever. But uh, as far as I could tell, everyone had a great time. I, I know that a lot of people have been doing this, you know, every year for many, many years. It is like a New Year's Day tradition. Evidently, afterwards, some people get together and they hang out at, you know, at the same diner or restaurant or whatever, which is really, really cool. And uh, of course, thank you to Skull, who I've never met either. I uh, don't know his his real name. But like I said, I'll, I'll put the link to the, the video interview with him. So, you know, thank you to him for starting this thing 29 years ago. It, uh, again, it, it just totally, totally was in the spirit of motorcycling. Great bunch of people. You know, the bikes were awesome. You, you could just tell everyone was just chilling, having a good time, just enjoying motorcycling and hanging out together. And uh, after all, that that's what it's all about. So that's resolutions. So now I'm just going to talk a little bit about plans. So plans for the podcast. So this year, um, I definitely want to continue doing interviews. Um, I will be doing, you know, some of these episodes, either when I can't quite squeeze in an interview or whatever, but uh, I do plan to get back on doing the interviews. I've got lots and lots of people lined up, so I'll get those going as I can. Um, Also, I will be continuing to share my experience in shopping for and buying track riding gear. 
uh, when I do it in May, I believe I've mentioned on this podcast, and I'm pretty sure I mentioned on Throttle as well, that uh, my kind of Christmas present to myself was I signed up for the two-day camp with California Superbike School. So in May, I'll be at New Jersey Motorsports Park with Keith Code and his team learning how to ride on the track. So I'm really, really looking forward to that. Um, you know, if I can do some other training and stuff during the year, either possibly before or after that, I definitely, definitely am going to do that. Um, you know, signing up for the two-day camp is not inexpensive. I'm sure it's going to be worth every penny, but it, it, it's a bit of an investment. So I don't know how much other training I'm going to afford for this year, but uh, if this is the only thing I do this year, it'll be it'll be amazing. So really, really looking forward to that. So I'll be sharing my experiences with that. Um, also, I want to continue um, on my journey with Moto Jitsu. You know, that's um, Fast Eddie's got you know Greg Widmar's got a really cool system with Moto Jitsu. Actually, I just bought some uh, Moto Jitsu bling recently to help support him. I bought a T-shirt and a sticker to put on my top case. Uh, or someplace on the motorcycle because I've got a thing really decorated with, you know, podcast and, you know, <clears throat> stickers for, for different uh, content providers and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, and a, you know, we got a hat and the whole deal. But, um, yeah, it is, it is something that I take seriously. Like, uh, I, I do like what he's doing, you know, everything that Facet is promoting and the program he's put together for Moto Jitsu. So I definitely want to continue doing Moto Jitsu. It's, it's, it's been quite a while. I'm kind of all set up with it. You know, I've, I've got my... Uh, my, my tennis ball is cut in half and, you know, I've got the booklet to easily carry with me and I've got a tape measure I can measure out and I can easily lay out a course. It's just finding the time to do it. So that's another thing resolution wise, I guess, and plan for this year uh, is to, to get more serious about doing my moto jitsu, practicing on a regular basis. Um, it's kind of interesting because in February, um, Gene and I are going to take a little vacation out to California. We're actually going to be landing San Francisco and then uh, driving down uh, Pacific Coast Highway down to San Diego in a car. Yes, um, you know, she, she's not up to wanting to, to ride a motorcycle that whole way. And in all honesty, like this is an opportunity. I, I've seen quite a bit of California, but this is a chance for her to kind of see California. So this is more about covering covering miles and getting to see lots of parts of California more than it is about uh, riding motorcycles, although we may try to rent a couple bikes down in the San Diego area. But the point I'm getting to is being that Fast Eddie is down in San Diego, and I don't know, at the time we're there, he might be traveling off someplace, but I was like, oh, man, it kind of stinks that I'm not ready to like test out for my belts. It would be the perfect opportunity. So anyway, I, I will get as many belts, quote unquote, under my belt as I can in the coming months, but uh, I don't really see being ready to test out in, in February, but uh, that, that is something I, I do want to really progress with that this year and, and definitely encourage other people to do it too. So, you know, definitely let me know if, if you are doing the Moto Jitsu program, how it's going and, you know, what's going well, any difficulties you're having or whatever. And uh, yeah, we can definitely help one another out. And then, uh, okay, so I started to get into plans for me. Uh, some more plans for me is... Um, just keeping motorcycling fresh, you know, that's one of the things I was looking at is, you know, I think it is kind of important important in any kind of activity to keep things fresh. You know, I kind of constantly find myself wanting to do something new, you know, wanting to challenge myself. And I think in large part, that's where the interest has come for doing track days, you know, getting on the track is it's just part 
naturally of my evolution. And it's not like I've mastered street riding and there isn't more things I can do and explore and learn. But for me personally, that's kind of the next challenge and, and the next step. So that's kind of the thing that I'm, I'm going to be focusing on. I know for some people, you know, they're into street riding and they get into other things like doing iron butts and long distance riding and, you know, marathon riding and stuff like that. Other people get into, you know, off-roading, adventure riding and stuff. So for me, for now, it's the track. Um, definitely want to finish reading Total Control. I am almost done with that. I just had kind of skipped over. Uh, Lee Parks has a very detailed section on suspension and how suspension works and setting up suspension and troubleshooting suspension. And at the time I read the book, I just didn't have the patience, so I kind of skipped the chapter. Uh, but I want to kind of go back, read it in detail, because I really want to feel that, you know, I really understood everything cover to cover. Plus, you know, understanding that stuff is really important to getting the, the most out of your motorcycle and being the best rider you can be. Um, I want to read Cornering Confidence by John Del Vecchio and do the online course that he's put together. Uh, definitely he and I have talked about him being on the show, but uh, I want to wait until I've you know studied his course and read his book so I can have an intelligent conversation with him about Cornering Confidence. Already men mentioned the Jitsu practice. Um, race plans and stuff. So I had seen Kyle Wyman at the International Motorcycle Show like early December, and uh, you know he won Daytona 200 last year. So I'm actually thinking it's going to be March this year. I think it's early March. Uh, I think it'd be really, really cool to go see the Daytona 200. I've never seen it. Um, I think it'd be an awesome opportunity to go take some photos and stuff. So uh, definitely thinking about that. Kind of going back to the track days thing. Um, I want to get the Z900 RS set up with some sliders and stuff. If, if for no reason, or crash bars or something, if for no other reason than doing my Moto Jitsu, because I have mentioned in the past that sometimes I'm a little backed off on what I'm willing to try in a parking lot just because of concern about dropping the bike. And it's not like if I drop the bike, I drop the bike. Like I'm not. I'm not concerned like that about like pushing myself and trying something, but I don't want to damage the bike. So I want to do something to get that set up. If I'm going to ride that bike on the track, it also would be good to have a little bit of protection. So we'll have to, we'll have to see what I can work out on that. Um, being that I'm investing in track gear, um, I don't think I'll be buying a leather track suit this season, although we'll see. There is one included when I do California Superbike School, and I've got the option of renting them if I do squeeze in some other track days this year. Um, but I do, so I, I don't know that I'll buy a track bike this year. I really kind of doubt it, but I do want to figure out what I'm going to do for a track bike when I'm ready. So maybe kind of start researching and, you know, picking out a bike or type of bike and then kind of budgeting the money for 2021. And, uh, also, um, if I do end up or when I end up doing, you know, having my own track bike, either taking the Z900 RS this year on the track or getting a track bike or whatever, just need to figure out trailering it. Uh, you know, from home to, to various tracks. Uh, I do have my Pathfinder, which, you know, 2006, it's got a bunch, it's, it's only got 130,000 miles on it, but you know, it's, it's, it's aging and things need to be replaced. I need new tires and uh, the suspension is kind of shot. You know, I need shocks and struts and stuff like that. So if I'm going to use it for trailering, even though motorcycle and trailer is not that heavy, I figure I got to get that stuff worked out or possibly get a new truck, but I'm not quite sure that that's in the budget. So we'll have to see on that. So if anyone has any recommendations on uh, good motorcycle tow vehicles or know someone selling a really quality used vehicle, let me know. Um, and then as far as racing, yeah, I definitely want to hit some Moto America races again this season. I honestly would love to, to, to go to every race. It, it's just not 
practical for me due to budget and schedule. Like it's it's a nice kind of pipe dream, but I just know I'm just not going to be able to pull it off. Is I just I have too many other interests and things. Um, and you know, I do want to get on the track myself. You know, I've got California Superbike School, which although that's that's going to be during the week uh, in May, but um, yeah, I got too much other stuff going on, and I do want to get on the track myself. So I don't think I'm going to hit everyone, but the ones I'm looking at is April 17th to 19th, Road Atlanta. May 29th to 31st, which I'm guessing is Memorial Day weekend. I'm not sure. I have to check the calendar. That's Road America. August 7th to 9th, Pittsburgh, which I'm thinking G4 will probably go to again. I know he really enjoyed it this past season. And then the one I'm really looking forward to is Motor America's first first year at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, which is August 21 to 23rd. And then they'll be back in Jersey Motorsports Park again. Um September 11th to 13th. So that's fairly close for us. I'm really thinking that I'd like to go check that out again. And then, of course, definitely want to hit the uh, AHRMA, American Historical Racing Motorcycle Association at NJMP. Had a blast. Gene and I had a great time uh, last year or this this past summer when we were there. Met some of the guys from there. We got to meet uh, Shauna Sanderson and her husband right there heavily involved in the women riders world relay so uh yeah that was really cool so looking forward to hopefully meeting up with them again and uh for anyone that follows me on facebook or instagram you'll see that i bought a new zoom lens for race photography so uh yeah it's a it's a nice it's a nice big one. so uh 500 millimeter i think it's three to 500 millimeter zoom lens so be able to get up closer on the action so i'm looking forward to using that at all the races that i attend and then I think this comes under the heading of future, future plans, not necessarily 2020, because I've already got a pretty, pretty, pretty intense list of things here to do. But uh, and Gina and I have talked about this learning to ride on the dirt. I know a lot of people recommend it, you know, for even improving just street riding. I know a lot of motorcycle, you know, road racers practice, you know, they ride on the dirt. You know, you've got people like... Um, uh, why is his name escaping me? Uh, he he, ride, he was in Motor America. He's not riding Motor America this year, but... Uh, Last year, last season, he was riding Moto America and American Flat Track at J.D. Beach, and uh, he's going to be continuing with American Flat Track this coming season, 2020. So anyway, yeah, so learning to ride on the dirt would be really cool. And also, I'd like to just start doing more on motorcycles, like working on motorcycles. I would love eventually to start restoring motorcycles, although that's a whole thing in itself because I need to set up a, a work area where I could work. The garage that we've got is pretty packed in and whatever and it's not conducive to to being able to tear bikes apart and rebuild engines and stuff but it is something i would love to do and then again i don't think this is a 2020 but uh, i would love to try my hand at amateur motorcycle racing you know so i don't know depending on how things go with california superbike school and whatever other training i can get in this year and doing some track days uh, maybe i start looking at that for next year um also yeah, Dave Moss Tuning. So it was awesome having him on the show. You know, he'd given me some recommendations, for settings on my bike, which I have not gotten to yet, but I have not forgotten. So I want to start doing that, you know, making the changes he recommended, see how that changes the ergonomics of the bike and the handling and performance. And uh, I definitely want to to study up a lot more on the materials that he has on his website and whatever. A lot, a lot of great resources there. So, yeah, so that's my big long list of plans for 2020 and beyond. Like I said, I don't know how much of this I'm going to get done this year. Um, definitely California Superbike School, uh, you know, and then a couple track days or something like that. Motor America Motorcycle Racing, I'm definitely thinking I'm going to be able to work out the Daytona 200 and Moto Jitsu. So if I just get those things done, I think it will be awesome, awesome, awesome. So um, 
yeah so just kind of in uh wrapping up the show so i would say uh yeah let me know what uh what your 2020 new year's resolutions are what your plans are for the coming year for getting into motorcycling or getting back to motorcycling or you know doing something different in motorcycling whether it's buying another motorcycle or getting some training or buying some new gear you know definitely hit me up let me know you know i'll uh read your emails and stuff on the show um definitely definitely like to hear what you got in store for 2020 so before I close out the show, I had a little bit to add here. So one of the things I often do when I put together a podcast episode is I'll go back and listen to the recording, you know, just make sure things sound okay, see if there's anything that needs to be corrected or any sounds that need to be adjusted or any like things like clearing my throat or stuff like that that, that I want to edit out. Uh, so I kind of just do my, my usual quality control or quality assurance. So um, yeah, so I went back through and I just had a, a couple things I wanted to just add in and correct here. I originally thought maybe I'd just go back and edit the episode and just do some inserts and stuff, but this is actually a little quicker and more efficient. And the other thing is, I think I'm kind of getting a cold. Like you'll probably hear my voice sounds a little bit different. So I figured it'd be better if I just had that whole voice change at the end of the episode instead of like little inserts in between. Uh, yeah. So anyway, so just a, just a couple of things I, I wanted to clarify. Um, first of all, um, well, this is not something to clarify, but uh, as I'm sitting here at my desk recording, it's uh, it's sunny outside. It's like about 60 degrees, so perfect weather to be outside. Uh, I don't know if I get a chance to ride today. I do need to, you know, I want to get on the bike again. I actually haven't ridden since New Year's Day. Um, so I want to get back on the bike again, and I need to do a little bit on the bike, just clean it up a little bit, just, you know, riding it in, in this you know, in, in this season, you know, you pick up some grime and stuff from the road and, you know, they do salt the roads if there's like a little bit of snow. So I need to clean up the bike and I need to service the chain, you know, uh, clean it up and, and lube the, the Z900 RS chain. But at any rate, um, so it, it's not even noon yet. So I figured, hey, let me sit down and wrap up this episode. I really want to get this out to, to everybody. I know it's been a while since I released an episode. So I figured, uh, let me let me buckle down and do that. So a couple updates first. So uh I did want to let uh, John Gardner, G4, know he, he listened to, actually, I think he listens to all the episodes, which is cool, but uh, he listened to the episode where I was guessing his age, and I think I said he was like mid to late 20s. He he corrected me. He is currently 23, unless he's had a birthday since uh, he sent me that email. So, uh, yeah, so uh, so John, sorry for that. Uh, that's, that's actually, that's pretty cool, dude. You got lot, lots and lots of years of motorcycle riding ahead of you, so I'm a little bit jealous. But uh, yeah, so just a little correction on that. And then uh, in December, listener Jerry Vivaro had a birthday. Jerry actually lives on Long Island also. So Jerry, happy birthday. Uh, or I should say belated happy birthday. So that's kind of on the, the news front. News and updates for listeners. And then just in regards to some of the things I talked about in this episode. Um, so regarding helmets, uh, you know, I mentioned DOT and Snell. Uh, I did not mention that in Europe, the standard is ECE. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what that stands for. I believe that is a standard put together by the European Union, which is kind of good because it means that there is a, a standard that's applied across countries. And so I'm guessing it's a lot easier for manufacturers and some consistency for uh, for riders, you know, and for, for people buying helmets and stuff like that. So I don't know I, you know like it is a european standard so i don't know for you know for american u.s riders canadian riders well actually maybe canadian riders i don't know maybe ec helmets are, are a thing in canada but in the u.s I, I don't expect you know you, you may see 
a helmet that's D-O-T-N-E-C-E or something. But anyway, I just want to let you know there, there is another standard uh, testing, you know, quality and uh, protection factor in helmets. So it's something you could look into if you're interested. Also, uh, regarding like novelty helmets and knockoffs and things, um, you know, one thing I just want to mention too is I have heard of situations where there are, you know, kind of knockoff or counterfeit helmets with, you know, they may have DOT stickers on them. I think I've even heard of like, companies you know where you can like buy dot stickers or something to put on your helmet so just be aware if you know if you're looking at helmets and you're not quite sure of the uh whatever the reputation or you know who you're dealing with just because it's you know helmet's got a dot sticker on it it doesn't necessarily guarantee anything uh, and then in regard to like Snell Standard, I think I mentioned this, I'm not totally sure. So the Arai helmet that I bought that I'll be talking about more in the future um, was a closeout that I got from Cycle Gear, um, and it, it is Snell 2015 rated. Like I mentioned, the Snell 2020 uh, specifications are out, and Arai is testing their helmets to that, that specification level. I don't know what the differences are, you know, if, if much at all. So, again, just something to, to be aware of. And then uh, in regards to, like, uh, jackets and, you know, one-piece suits and waterproof gear and stuff, you know, there was a manufacturer that escaped my mind, so that's Aerostitch. So I've never owned Climb or Aerostitch, sorry, Aerostitch gear, but I've heard good things about them. You know, they are evidently, you know, kind of top-end, um, you know, quality gear. Uh, you, you know, you're going to pay more for it, but, um, from, from what I hear, the stuff is really good and it's, it's worth what you spend. So again, another option then, uh, onto bond armor. So I said, I could not remember the name of the, the, uh, co-owner at bond armor who I interviewed. So her name is Kristen Colin Stagg. So Kristen, I apologize for not remembering your name, but I definitely want to make sure that, uh, I got that mentioned here. So yeah, she was on a prior episode. So if you want to learn more about Kristen and bond armor, go check that out. And uh, the bond code, right? So when she came on uh, the podcast, uh, she made this gracious, gracious offer. So basically, uh, listeners of this podcast, if you use the code Let's Ride Twenty on the Bond Armor website, you'll get ten percent off anything uh, in the online store. Uh, there's no time limit for that, so you can use that anytime. Just be aware that that can't be combined with other coupons or codes. Uh, and also, if you tell them that you heard about Bond Armor from this podcast, you'll get a free helmet liner with your order. Then on to the New Year's Day ride. So, um, yeah, actually, I had wanted to kind of go over the stuff that I wore on the ride, just the gear, and I actually had posted up a picture on Facebook. So give me a second. I'm going to pull that up. So like I mentioned in the episode, you know, when I headed out, I, I knew what the weather, you know, what the weather was going to be like. I looked at the forecast. It was like low, low 40s when I left. Um, and it stayed pretty much like that during the day. I think I think it was maybe a degree or two cooler when I came back. But, um, you know, like I said, riding, you know, riding at a decent clip on highways and stuff and no protection on the bike. You know, I did want to make sure that I was comfortable. And, and this this setup did work pretty well. So that's why I just thought I would kind of go through it quickly. So, um, you know, I was wearing my, my Bond Armor pants, right? So for, uh, you know, for crash protection on the legs. And I recently purchased, and I think I had mentioned this in uh, one of the episodes, um, they, they have Bond Armor for both the, the jackets, the, the shirts and the pants. There's basically three different types or styles of material you can get and then you just switch the you know the armor pieces from from one liner to the other but so these are the performance thermal uh, armored riding pants so i just had bought those shells and i just you know moved the uh armor pads over from my uh 
my mesh, you know, hot weather riding pants. Um, so anyway, and the thing I like about the Bon Armor, as I've mentioned, is because of the uh, the liners are very form fitting. It it does a great job of holding the armor like against your body. So I had that, um, and then it, you know, kind of gives you a bit of a thermal protection. So it's a, it's a layer to to keep you warm, and that's why I switched to those for colder weather riding. And then over those, I had my Olympia riding pants. I don't know the exact model, but I'll put links to the to the gear if I can find all this stuff online. You know, in the the podcast notes. Um, so that had me covered, you know, lower body. And then, um, you know, I just was wearing like a T-shirt. Usually I'll wear like a T-shirt and a long sleeve shirt if I'm wearing my heated jacket um, because I want not too much between the heated jacket and my skin, you know, so that the heat transfer is as good as possible. So, uh, yeah, so I had that. And then, uh, you know, I was just wearing the mobile warming heated liner. And then under that, you know, that was under my field shear jacket, uh, which is really nice, the field shear jacket, because... It's got a collar up high, so it kind of goes around your neck, cuts the wind out, and then, you know, it is a pretty pretty waterproof and weatherproof jacket, so it has, like you'll see on, like, winter clothing, a flap that goes over the uh, the zipper, so that works really well. I didn't use it this time, but it also has, like, a neck gaiter that kind of zips on the back and then wraps around your neck. It's just another layer of protection, kind of windproof and waterproof protection to keep the uh, the weather off your neck. Um, was wearing my built helmet. I didn't wear the Arai just because I wanted to be able to listen to music because it was a fairly long ride in and out of the city. And also I use my Google Maps for navigation and I do not yet have a comm system set up for the Arai helmet. So I just went with the built. Um, and then under the helmet, I was wearing, um, n- now they call it Warm R. Um, that's the, kind of the, the, the brand name with uh, cycle gear. Uh, I forget what the prior prior name was before they called it warmar but i had a cycle gear balaclava which is a uh, you know basically fits over your head and around your neck so again that does a really good job of, of keeping the wind and stuff out keeps my neck warm and then uh, keep, keeps my head warm and then being it's it's a thicker material it's uh, not really neoprene but it's kind of uh like felt line on the inside you can you know you can go on the cycle gear website and check it out uh and then just a a kind of material that's very wind resistant um you know not that you need the wind resistance with the helmet but because it's a little thicker and i've mentioned i realized my built helmets do not fit me properly it just gets the helmet like a little snugger does not solve the problem of the helmets being the wrong size but at least it feels a little better a little snugger on my head and then of course i had my mobile warming heated gloves um which worked out really great and then uh, I, w- I was wearing my uh, Alpenstar's waterproof boots. You know, they come up pretty high boots, come up over the ankles. Uh, they're zippered and then have a, a flap that Velcros over. So it does a great job of keeping the cool air out and the rain if I'm, you know, riding in wet conditions or whatever. And then recently I started trying Cycle Gear sells these warm R. They're like little booties. They're kind of socks. They're a little thicker than socks because the they kind of have a sole that's sewed in so it's more like a booty than a sock um but i actually have two sizes uh i think a medium medium and a large i think or small and a whatever it is um like one that'll fit comfortably over my feet without socks on and then a slightly larger pair the next size up that will fit with my socks on and so i've worn just the booties um which work pretty well but in this case because i thought that you know it was going to be a little bit cooler and i was going to be out for quite a few hours i actually went with just like cotton socks and then these warm r booties over them and it, it worked great like my, my feet were really comfortable the whole time you know you can obviously go the option of like heated socks or something like that which i know some people use if i was riding really really cold weather um you know for extended periods of time i probably would try that 
you know, and then the thing is, well, you know, do you go with ones that plug into the jacket and pants? You know, if you're going to do that, you're going to, yeah, then, then you need pants that are heated so you can plug the socks into the pants and the pants into the jacket. Uh, I'm not sure on my motorcycle, the Z900 RS, if the alternator is uh, beefy enough to, to support that much load. I haven't done the calculation on it, but, and I haven't really found the need, like with the heated jacket and gloves, that, that seems to be fine for me in the conditions I ride. And then, uh, yeah, I haven't really found the need yet for heated pants and uh, and socks. But, you know, who knows? Maybe I'll try that one time if I start doing, you know, much more extended riding or something like that. So, yeah, so I think that pretty much covered the gear. So, yeah, that's that's just what I've been riding in. It works out really well for me. So if, if you use any of that gear, let me know how you like it. Or if you have alternate things that you use that you think work better, definitely let me know. And uh, as always, I will share that information with the other listeners. Just some additional things I wanted to mention in regards to this gear. So in particular, if you're shopping for like a heated jacket, heated liner, and I think this would apply to pants as well. um, The thing I would suggest just based on my experience so far is make sure you have, uh, you know, heated gear that fits you snugly. Um, And, you know, so so generally it is, you know, if you have a heated jacket, it's going to be like a liner, like the ones I have. I don't know exactly how to describe it. It's like it's like a very lightweight jacket, almost like a liner, a little bit thicker than than, than like a you know thermal liner or something like that. But it basically like a lightweight jacket and pants. Um, but so with the jacket, the point I'm getting to is if it's not snug to your body, because it, it kind of works best by contact. So when I'm riding, if I feel I'm getting a little cool, I'll actually like kind of arch my back or you know twist my arms or whatever to get the heat the heating patches, the heating elements in the gear in contact with my skin. And then it feels a lot more comfortable, a lot warmer. So you want to make sure that, you know, if you're buying heated gear that it doesn't fit too loosely. Um, you know, you don't want something, I guess, tight and constrictive, right? That's going to cut off the blood flow because then you're kind of defeating the purpose of, of staying warm. Um, but yeah, just something to keep in mind. Um, I'm, I'm just wondering if maybe I would have been better, maybe with a size smaller on, on my heated jacket liner, but I'll have to see in the future if I do, you know, buy new gear, upgrade or something like that. But so just something to keep in mind there. Uh, the other thing, you know, I mentioned that this, uh, the field shirt jacket that I have is nice in terms of weather protection because it's got this flap over the zipper. Uh, just be aware though, that it is a kind of a pain in the neck. Like if, if, because I think I've mentioned on past episodes, the heated liner, the control button is, is actually on the outside of the liner up on the chest. So in order to adjust it, I have to unzip the outer jacket, reach in, and then press the button to like either turn it on or off or adjust the temperature setting. Um, when you've got like this flap over the zipper and then you've got your riding gloves on, it's just that much more to kind of hassle with and you got to flip that open and then, you know, it's Velcroed and sometimes it sticks to Velcro on the glove or something like that. So it can be a little bit of a pain in the neck. Um, you know, it's nice to have the flap for the wind protection and water not getting in, but just something to be aware of. Um, what I did do is, because yeah, it's very hard to find the, the zipper tab with gloves on, is uh, I have like a keychain, you know, uh, I think it's Moto moto Loot. Like I've posted photos, like I have these like long uh, kind of fabric 
keychain tags, you know, for my motorcycle keys, you know, they say like, whatever, remove before flight or, you know, ejection switch or, you know, whatever these, these funny, cute little sayings or whatever. But I actually attached one of those to the zipper pull. So this way I've got something I can really grab onto easily with the glove to unzip and unzip up the jacket. And then fortunately I can just tuck that under this Velcro flap that goes over. So just something, something else to keep in mind. Um, yeah. And then uh, another thing just regarding riding in the cold, just something to think about is if you are out in the cold and, you know, I would consider cold like, you know, just for the purpose of this below 50 degrees, let's say, uh, just keep in mind that your tires are going to be cold. And so you just want to be smart about that. I'm hardly an expert on motorcycle tires, although it is something I'd like to research further. Um, but, you know, I do know that tires perform better when they get some heat in them. Um, it is true that road tires are constructed differently and made of different materials than let's say track tires so they they have a much more acceptable temperature range and the grip is much better in cooler temperatures um and in fact i know like one of the things with doing track days is you know novices often get all excited and they get you know they're going to start doing track days and they want to get tire warmers and track tires and stuff like that and i think it's often recommended that you not start that way as a novice because in in order to in order for for like track type tires like slicks and stuff to perform the way they're intended to they have to be pretty warm like they have to have a lot of heat in them and that's a reason that you use tire warmers also so that the tires stay at constant temperature because evidently if the, as the heat cycles the tires get hot and cool cool off it kind of whatever accelerates the wear of the tires and affects the rubber and stuff like that so all right the point i'm getting to is when you're riding on the street with street tires it's different than riding on the track with track tires and slicks and stuff like that so your grip issues on you know on the road with dot tires street tires may not be as big an issue as on the track where you worry about you know losing traction and stuff like that but the point is just kind of be smart you know when you, when you first go out it's a little different than than in a car where you got four wheels you know you got two wheels and so if you get out and you get a little too over exuberant and you know you take a turn too quickly before the tires are warmed up you may not have the traction that you need so something to keep in mind uh, and then uh, one one last comment. So uh, resolutions. One thing I hadn't mentioned, uh, which is is a resolution for this year. So so awesome. You know, I've dropped a bunch of weight over the past year and a half or whatever. You know, forty something pounds, and I'm feeling a lot better, more comfortable on the bike. But I was kind of thinking about you know, yeah, okay. So mid fifties, fifty six, uh, coming up fifty seven in April, and I'm gonna be actually I didn't think of that. I'll be fifty seven before I do uh, California Superbike School in May. So I was kind of looking at it going, okay, first of all, you know, included in the package is rental of a BMW S1000RR, which is a, not RR, yeah, RR, uh, which is a sport bike. So, you know, it's leaned over sport bike position. Um, and, you know, obviously I'm starting out as a beginner, you know, at the first level of their, of their training levels. Uh, you know, so whatever, you go at appropriate speeds and whatever, it's not going to be going crazy speeds, but, you know, I'm going to be out on the track for two days, you know, doing whatever it is, 15, 20 minute sessions at a time. And so I'm looking at it going, yeah, I don't, I don't want to get exhausted, you know, riding out on the track. Um, you know, when you are riding on the track, not that I've done it yet, but you know, you're going to be pushing things to your limit, takes more concentration. Um, you know, you're moving your body around to get the, the most out of, you're turning and whatever and learning how to control your body weight properly so 
anyway, I'm, I'm looking at it going, yeah, I think it's time to be getting into better, better physical conditions. So uh, one of the things I've been wanting to for quite some time is get back to bicycle riding. I used to ride on the street and do some mountain biking and stuff like that. So I think kind of for cardio and endurance training, I want to start doing that. And then uh, just generally just uh, some stretching exercises and things just to get a little more limber. So I avoid, you know, unnecessary aches and pains and whatnot. Yeah, and maybe even a little bit of mild weight training or something like that just to build up some muscle tone and whatever. You know, not that I'm going to be racing where I'm worried about, you know, gaining too much muscle weight and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, anyway, so I guess the point is I'm just thinking, okay, great, drop the weight. That's good. But, uh, you know, I want to keep riding as long as I can and I want to just keep feeling good and healthy as long as I can. So I think uh, part of the 2020 plans is going to be to uh, start getting back or let's say improving my physical fitness. I'm actually in fairly decent shape, but uh, yeah, start improving that and doing some more exercise, you know, other than just getting on the bike and riding. All right. So a little quality control on the quality control. So I just listened back to that little segment and I realized I forgot one important thing I also wanted to mention, uh, which is the subject of hypothermia. And um, so the the reason I bring it up is it's something I've thought about when I ride in colder weather, um, even like with the heated gear, I'll come back from a ride, let's say I'm out for a couple hours and, you know, pull up in the driveway you know, turn off the heated gear, you know, unplug, jump off the bike and open up the garage. I can put the bike away. And, you know, sometimes I'll actually feel a little, you know, warm, right? Because I'm not moving anymore. You don't have the wind chilling effect or whatever. And I'll open up the jacket or whatever. And by the time I put the bike in the garage and grab my gear and get ready to head into the house, I'll realize how cool my body feels. Um, And so the point is just, um, you know, being careful. And it's not just motorcycling. It's like any endeavor where you're out and, you know, colder temperatures you know it doesn't have to be freezing cold to get hypothermia um and and so i just realized you know in some cases coming back after a ride i'm like when i've gone in the house you know it's like my body feels a little chilled not severely but like a little chilled and it actually takes a while to warm up where i feel kind of quote-unquote normal so I've wondered if on some occasions I've actually had like, you know, just mild, mild case of hypothermia setting in. So I bring it up because, you know, I had posted on Facebook when I went out for that New Year's Day ride, you know, hey, you know, it's like low 40s and I'm heading out with my heated gear, wish me warmth. And, you know, I mentioned some people were kind of busting my chops like, yeah, that's not cold. What's that's not a big deal. Wait till you ride in the 30s or lower temperatures. And so, again, you know, I think the thing is just don't assume just because it's not freezing or below freezing that you can't have issues. Um you know, you definitely have to consider wind chill and thing like that, things like that, depending on where you're riding, how fast you're riding, how much wind protection you have. Uh, and again, you know, just, just the thing of, you know, make, making sure that you are keeping warm and you don't have a situation where your, you know, core body temperature is dropping lower than it should be because you don't want to have issues. So anyway, that was, that was my little spiel on hypothermia. I don't know a great deal about it. Um, you know, it's something anyone could research further if they're interested. I actually may do that a little bit myself. But again, it's just something I kind of noticed that I just wanted to make everybody aware of. If you'd like to find out more about my podcast or find the earlier podcast episodes, just point your web browser to soyouwantaridamotorcycle.com or find the link in the show notes included with this episode in your podcast app. If you have any questions about the show or the topics discussed, or if you want to send me feedback, you can email me anytime at soyouwantaride at yahoo.com. That address is also in the podcast notes. 
You can also follow me on Facebook and Instagram, where I share lots of links to other people's motorcycle articles and video content, as well as providing a lot of my own motorcycle-related photos and content. Just search for So You Want to Ride or find the links on my website or, again, in the podcast notes. There are two big ways you can help support the show. One is free and one is paid. If you'd like to help support the podcast financially, you can donate using PayPal by going to paypal.me slash Christopher or just click the donate link at the upper right on my website. I also now have a podcast supporters page on the website, which lists all of the listeners who are supporting the podcast. Total donations of $5 to $9 will make you a member of the Thupper Club, where I'll list your name and any social media links that you want to provide. Donations of $10 and up will make you a member of one of the other clubs where I'll include your photo and biography as well as any links you want to provide. Any commercial organization that would like to support the podcast to help promote their products and services can contact me directly for the available options. All donations will be put to very good use to cover operating expenses and to help promote and expand the podcast. Anything you care to donate will be greatly appreciated. The free way to help is just help me spread the word so we can continue to grow my online and listener communities. So please share the link to my podcast and my social media with family, friends, and coworkers. And also, please leave me a rating and some comments on iTunes and any other place where you can leave feedback or mention the show. As always, thank you for listening. And just remember, whatever you do, it's always time to ride. (laughs) 